So I have really enjoyed listening to um, the messages over the past few weeks. I was really excited when Neil uh, uh, told us that we were going to be going into 1 Corinthians 13 because who doesn't love 1 Corinthians 13? Even unbelievers love it. Everyone who reads or hears or listens to that chapter immediately agrees, yes, this is what love is. And the reason why we agree without hesitation is because that's exactly how we would like to be loved. I would like to be loved unconditionally. I would love for everyone around me not to be irritated by me, not to resent. And if I do something that you are very quick to forgive and that you do not hold um, record of my wrongs. And if we if we think about the people who make us feel loved, it's usually the people who are willing to give us another chance, regardless of how much we fail, who are willing to overlook our shortcomings, you know, who are looking to hope in the best for us and of us, regardless of what they see. So 1 Corinthians 13 speaks that you know, to every heart when we hear it. It's been a blessing to, to hear personal examples uh, from, say, Natalie and Nick, when they shared their messages of just how God is working this through their heart. Um, very refreshing to, to have um, Brian point us back to agape love and the spiritual gifts and, and how those two are connected. I really liked that we we're reconnected back to agape love because you hear so many things about love and so many things said about it that sometimes you can lose sight of what it is we're talking about when we say love. Is it phileo love, which is, you know, between family and friends, and, or is it erotic love, which is what really gets sung about by our culture most of the time? So it's very refreshing to be reminded about agape love, that love that comes from God. Because that is the love that's uncon- unconditional. That is the love that is able to bear all things um, and respond in the way that we, um, we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. So today I'm speaking about, um, I believe it's verse 5. What happened to that nice intro that, that you have at the, at the uh, beginning? I like that intro. We didn't have it today, but normally we... We, we read through 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and in verse 5 uh, of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, it says that love is not um, irritated or resentful. Love is not easily irritated or it's not irritable or resentful. I looked at how other versions put it because it's always very helpful uh, just to compare different versions. It gives you sort of different understandings of what that means. So um, in in some other versions, it says love is not easily angered. It's not easily provoked and it keeps no record of wrongs. I like this one from the Amplified Bible. The Amplified Bible says love is not oversensitive. I can relate with that one because there was a time in my life when I had to ask God to deliver me from oversensitivity. I found that everything hurt. You know, I could feel everything. And I thought, you can't go through life 
feeling every single thing and you know registering every single thing it's it's kind of burdensome to be that way and i had to actually bring it before the lord to say actually i'm finding myself you know feeling hurt by a lot of things and little things and you know quite frequently and the lord delivered me from from that um love does not entertain evil thoughts that's from the aramaic bible I can relate with that because when something happens that, you know, that we feel wronged by, one of the first things we obviously want to do is meditate on what happened. And boy, can we meditate on this person did this and it's not fair. And why did they do, did, do, do this to me? And these are the consequences of what they did to me. And it goes on and on and on. And, you know, you could start World War III in your mind just by meditating on what someone did. So I really love that that version says love does not entertain uh, those kinds of thoughts. I also sort of wanted to remind myself, you know, what the definition of, you know, being irritable is or being resentful. Because I bet if I asked different people what it means, we would probably say it slightly differently. Well, here's one definition to go by. Resentment is bitter indignation at having been treated unfairly. Is there anyone here who has never felt that they were treated unfairly? Raise your hand. Nope. Not one person. Good. Irritability is being frustrated, upset, or agitated. Is there anyone here who hasn't had those emotions? Oh, Caleb, I thought I had... No? (laughs) Okay. I thought I I saw your hand up, but you're just checking out your afro, which is good. Um, Yes, so every single one of us can relate to these feelings of resentment and irritability. And in 1 Corinthians 13, what God is doing for us is bringing us back to his definition of love to show us the most excellent way. It's not that these things will not happen. They will come. Offenses will come. As long as we are in the flesh, we will know irritability. We will know frustration. We will know what it feels like to be treated unfairly. But how does God want us to respond when that happens. So it's not a question of will it happen, it's what do we do when it happens? How do we handle it when it happens? So um, I looked at that, that verse, uh, that same scripture under um, the Amplified Bible, and this is what it said. The Amplified Bible says, describes love as unselfish love growing out of God's love for me. So my ability to love people in the way God is calling me to love is by allowing that love to come out of the love that God has for me. And so I have to constantly bathe myself in the love of God. I have to constantly be reminded how much God loves me. Now, I know God is never irritated with me, even when I'm being irritating. You know, he doesn't resent me. He doesn't wish, you know anything bad happens to me. He doesn't keep any record of my wrongs. I mean, he said that. So the more I I meditate on those things, the more I spend time with the Lord, the more I grow in that love, the more I have a reservoir from which I can 
uh, love others. But it is a daily walk, and it requires my will to participate. So I need to be willing to agree with God uh, that love is not irritable and love is not resentful. So when I do have feelings of irritability and, you know, uh, feeling wronged, I can immediately hold it up to the standards uh, that, that God has um, put up to say, actually, this is not how God wants me to deal with it. And um, I got that a lot from the messages preached by John and, and Neil, was that they kept reminding us of the basics of what God is asking us to do. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't put itself first. It's not self-centered. It's amazing that we actually need to be reminded from the point of view of God's word, but that's, that's where the power comes from, you know, to be reminded that it is, it is, love is actually the opposite of what our flesh wants to do. It wants to, our flesh wants to be selfish. It wants to put itself first. It is centered on itself. And that's where the feelings of irritability comes from. You know, that's where the feelings of frustration comes from. I'm frustrated when I've already planned something. I'm very good at, you know, drawing schedules and organizing things and having it all planned. And then I get frustrated when somebody comes and prevents that plan from happening. Why? Because I have my plan. I have my vision of how that thing ought to take place. And so when somebody prevents that from happening, the first thing I feel is irritable. But what the Lord is asking me to do is actually esteem that person above yourself. You know, if they've come to interrupt your schedule, you know, well, step back a little bit. Instead of being irritated, step back to hear what they have to say. It may all be, you know, God's divine way of making everything work out, you know, together for good. So the scriptures that have, that generally help me when I, when I have feelings of irritability are ones like Psalm, you know, let's start with Solomon, Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, right? Talks about the little foxes. So we can agree with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, and agree with the concept of love. And then things like irritability and resentment can come in and destroy that love. And these things are what the Bible refers to as the little foxes. So if you talk to couples who are going through a, a divorce, if you really listen to the story, it will always come back down to the little foxes, you know, the things that built up on a daily basis, you know, the things that this person did to irritate me on a daily basis until it accumulated to the point where there was an explosion because somewhere I'm keeping a record of what is happening every day. You did this last year. I told you I didn't like it. You did it five years ago, and now you've done it again. I've had it. I'm going to file for a divorce. It's keeping a record of wrongs and constantly allowing that irritability to have its way. And so in uh, the Song of Solomon, it um, tells us that, you know, catch the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil and ruin the vineyards of love while our vineyards are in blossom. So every time these things come up, think of it as a little fox that's come to steal that perfect, beautiful thing that God is giving you. 
you know, be it in a marriage, in a family, in any kind of relationship that you're in, those little foxes come to steal what God has. So catch it, you know, as soon as, as, soon as it shows, um, shows up. Another scripture that is very useful for me is Psalm 37, verse 8. And in Psalm 37, verse 8, when I find myself starting to respond to something that is somebody else, I think somebody else is doing uh, to me, it says, you know, fret not thyself. You know, fret not thyself. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. In other versions, it says it only leads to evil. So those little things that come that are, you know, that irritate me are eventually going to lead to evil if I give way to them. They just lead on to other things that become bigger. Also, when other people treat me unfairly and I find myself meditating on what they've done and very gradually I, I end up meditating on what I think justice is and how I think this person ought to be dealt with for what they did to me. I think of um, Philippians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 to 7, where God reminds us, be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. You know, in everything, take everything concerning you to the Lord. I don't have to fight my battles. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I can take every injustice to God. He knows exactly how to deal with an injustice. Now, the way he deals with it may not be the way I expect him to deal with it, and that's the decision that I have to make, that when I leave it with him, that I'm going to trust him to deal with it in the way that is um, most effective. Um, and that's, that's perfect because God knows how to, how to um, deliver justice and restoration at the same time. If we were left to me, I will deliver justice and leave it at that. But God goes beyond delivering justice to bring about restoration for the other person in some form or another. And I think that is important uh, for us to remember that a lot of the time, there was a preacher that um, I used to listen to in New York, and he used to say, some of the people that run into you and, and, and do and say these mean things um, are actually doing it as a way of crying out for help. You know, they're trapped in certain behaviors. And when they run into you, that's their cry for help. And that's an opportunity for us to pray for those people for God to intervene. And God knows how to protect his own, so we don't need to be anxious. In Proverbs 17:14, uh, we are reminded to be careful about starting quarrels. You know, because after I've meditated long enough on that wrongdoing, usually the next step would be doing something about it, and that can often lead to quarrels. And it says, the beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. You know, so something that could start as a small irritation could easily end up in a huge inferno uh, because I have decided to you know, take matters into my own hands. Um, 
So, um, when I was on the mission field a few years ago, uh, the missionaries that I worked with used to joke. We used to have a joke uh, about uh, dealing with the spirit of irritability. You know, uh, that was something that missionaries were, at least the missionaries I worked with, were very conscious of, was that as a missionary, you could travel thousands of miles from sometimes other countries, give up your, you know, your, your livelihood, basically give your body up for the, to the flames, you know, give up everything you have to go serve the poor, um, dedicate your whole life you know, to ministering to others and, and meeting their needs. And you, you get there, you get to that person that the Lord has sent you to, and you're dealing with the fact that they're not grateful that you came. They don't care that you came. They didn't ask you to come. You came because God, you know, told you to come. You could get attacked for coming. You might even lose your life for daring to come. Um, and the work can be very hard, very harsh, uh, very difficult on some days. You might be working in difficult conditions. And so here you are, you've, you've, you've done all these big things, like you know, give up your life and, and, and travel thousands of miles, and you get to this place. And the little things that you have to deal with every day are the ones that really get you. And this is where God is calling for his love to be manifested in those little things. That's where our testimony can become, um, can become compromised. It can become compromised for us as individual Christians. It can become compromised for us as a, as a church. That the way we respond to the society around us, when they irritate us, when they treat us unfairly, when they are unjust, the way that we respond can overshadow everything else that we've done, can overshadow our sacrifices, can overshadow all that we've spent uh, just to deliver it. And so the Lord is reminding us to keep an eye on the small things, on the little foxes uh, that come to ruin the vine. Um, I remember uh, going to Guatemala to go spend uh, some time with uh, uh, American missionaries that were ministering to... uh, uh, communities that were in very, very remote areas uh, of Guatemala. We had to travel four hours uh, from the city and a couple of hours up a very treacherous mountain just to get to the community that they ministered to. I mean, it was middle of nowhere. And they had literally given up their comfortable lives in the U.S. to come and minister to this group of people who were not in contact with, you know, the rest of rest of the world, basically. There was nothing there. There was no electricity. There was no running water. There was nothing. And, you know, I was listening to their stories. They had been there for about over 10 years by the time I went to spend time with them. And I was listening to their stories. And the first thing that community wanted to do when they got there was to kill them. I mean, they actually spent time meeting, planning, you know, strategizing how they were going to kill this couple. Uh, God kept them and they didn't kill them. Uh, once they realized that, you know, every time they tried to kill them, the, the couple would save a child or somebody from the village from dying. And so they thought, actually, these people are saving us from dying, so maybe we shouldn't kill them. But then the next thing was they started to steal from them. You know, so they would come into their little home and steal the things that they had. 
And I remember the wife telling me a story of how somebody had stolen a necklace that was really precious to her. It was her daughter's necklace. And one of the women from the village had come and stolen it. And not only had she stolen it, she'd come back to visit and was wearing the necklace. (laughs) And I remember her indignation, you know, that, you know, after all that they had done over so many years to love and to give and to minister, that, you know, the thanks they were getting was, you know, being robbed. But at the end of the day, that was the love that God, God did not permit her to, to actually demand for that necklace back. You know, she had to leave it and, and, and accept the injustice of being robbed after giving up her life uh, to go and serve this community. I think of another couple, uh, a family in Australia, an, uh, an Australian family, sorry, that went to serve a community in Pakistan um, uh, with the gospel. And that community uh, ended up setting the, the husband and the two sons on fire. They were asleep in the car. And the community, uh, people from the community went and set that car alight and set them on fire. And the response of the wife from losing her husband and her kids was to remain in that community and to continue to serve them. Those examples for me are such powerful examples of the gospel. You know, it's why Jesus could hang on the cross and say, you know, and look at people cursing, mocking, and um, abusing him and from the cross, be able to look at them and pray for them and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Those are the kinds of examples that remind me of the call that God has on our lives. It's, it's a call that removes self from the center. But if we continue to choose to agree with God and apply ourselves uh, to the word of God, and allow the Spirit of God to work in and through us, I believe that we will find our selfishness is replaced by selflessness, that our self-centeredness becomes replaced with other-centeredness, and that we learn to esteem others above ourselves. Uh, The word that Grace shared early this morning about, about gifts from God is one of the things that helps me or reminds me to esteem others above me. You know, because God has given different gifts to different people. So I, I have great reason to esteem everyone around me above myself because God has given everyone gifts that I don't have. So I actually need the people around me in whatever package they come in because there is a deposit of God in each person which I don't have and I need. And that reminds me to esteem each person higher because there's a piece of God in that person. So I'll leave us um, with um, Philippians 4.8, which is a scripture that is very, very helpful for me. Um, it says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Our irritability and ability to keep us a record of wrongs comes from the things that we are thinking about and meditating on. So when I'm tempted 
to meditate on the many injustices and the many things that I have good reason to be irritated about, I've, you know, switched my thoughts to, you know, what, what good can I think about? You know, what's profitable? Something lovely, you know, sunny today. It's a nice day. I'm going to think about that instead of that other thing. And by practicing that, you know, the Holy Spirit gets his way in coming in and turning my heart and, and changing my heart towards the situation or towards the person. So I end with this. I want to end with a challenge, actually. And my challenge to everyone is this, is to think about one relationship in your life that you can work on when it comes to irritability or, or past wrongs. There must be one relationship in every life where there is work required to be able to cope with feelings of either injustice. You know, it could be a wrong in the workplace. It could be a disappointment in a relationship, a betrayal, or just somebody hurting you because of something they said um, about you. You know, think about that relationship, and I challenge you to take it before, before God and ask the Lord to to walk with you on that journey, to bring that relationship to where he wants it to be, at least in your heart, you know, what he wants you to have in your heart towards that person. And I also challenge you to share a testimony at some point. It can be from here. It can be in your life group. It can be with one other person. Share a testimony of what the Lord has done in that one relationship you know, to bring you to a place of restoration. Yeah? Um, And I look forward to hearing those testimonies. Um, And I thank everybody that has blessed us with so many wonderful messages and practical, um, practical guidance on how to live this very important passage. Thank you. God bless.